0: Welcome to Speak Down the Words, episode 26. I'm your host, Dave Reed. This week, we've got to speak to Scott English, who's been running music since the 60s, and has earned his status as somewhat of a legend by running massive hits like Hi Ho Silver Lining for Jeff Beck, and Mandy for Barry Manilow, and later on, Westlife. Scott has some great stories of the music industry, so stick around and have a listen. Remember, we're on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Chapel, UK. And on our YouTube at youtube.com forward slash Warner Chapel Music and on our Twitter at Warner underscore Chapel. And don't forget, Chapel is always spelled C H A P P E L L. And now, Scott English.
1: All right. Scott English, thank you very much for sitting down and doing the podcast. Very nice to see you, David. And <laughs> yeah. thank you for coming on this glorious day. It is a good day, isn't it? Yeah. It's not bad, huh? Yeah. Thank you very much. Uh, so you born in Brooklyn, right? Yeah. Tell us about that. I was born in Brooklyn on a snowy Sunday. Uh, I was raised there till I was two, and then I was dragged up and put in an orphanage. But I survived it. My head was always in the music business. That's what kept me alive. From what age? From about five. My head was in the radio. Uh, what what tunes were you listening to? Well, in those days, there was, there was Nat Cole and Tony Bennett and Johnny Mathis and uh, Frankie Lane and, you know, um, Joe Stafford. But then when I was about 11 or 12, I, I heard an R&B station called WLIB, and I heard... This guy say, "Raise back your ties. This is the chucker." It was an R&B station, and I heard things like Johnny Ace pledging my love, and I couldn't believe it. The, you know the difference in the in the music today. The music is uh, is very different than my music. I guess it wasn't shocking, but to me, it was sweet. The music. The R&B was sweet, you know. Rock and roll, it was called rock and roll in those days, you know. And then when we heard Chuck Berry and, you know, and uh, and then Rock Around the Clock really topped it up, you know. And then I saw movies with Tony Curtis. And I just, you know. And I was living in that area, you know, Brooklyn, you know. And uh, I used to take all the records I had, scratch out the names, and put my name on it. <laughs> That's quite funny. When I was about sixteen, I started hanging around the music business. Literally hanging around the music. So, yeah,
0: business. you say hanging around. What what kind of does that mean?
1: Outside, the, there was two buildings. There was sixteen fifty, which was the Brill Building, which was the Capitol, and then there was the, the, the what do you call the the, the the coal, the other place. You know, the, the, the uh, it was an attachment to it. Yeah, but it's smaller. You know, it was sixteen fifty Broadway, where the Isley Brothers were and. Uh, Don Kirshner. In that building, the first time I ever went to Broadway, I was in a, a chemist called Hansen's Drugstore. In the States, they call it drugstores. Here yeah, you get arrested for that. <laughs> and I met a fellow called Bobby Darin. And he sang me a song that he said was coming out in a week. Splish Splash. The first time I was ever... How did you, you meet him? Just, just in the drugstore? In the drugstore. Nice. You know, because the drugstore was connected to the building and there was an entrance to go into the building, you know. And, you know, and, and I looked like I was his brother, you know. Uh, huh. We were dressed alike, you know. And literally hanging out, when I said hanging out, I would hang out around 1650. Everybody would stand outside the building because everybody would come out, you know, the famous people, you know. Yeah. And there was two restaurants, one was the turf restaurant on the corner, which was for newcomers. And you could go in there and buy a coffee, a, a steak sandwich, or, you know, at the Oyster Bar, you know, or whatever. And then if you made it, there was the other side, Jack Dempsey's restaurant. Because there was entrances from the lobby of the building into the, you know. you know, If you made it, you went into Dempsey's. If you were just a newcomer, you'd go into the turf. And I would speak to people. I met people like uh, uh Wayne Newton, Freddie Neal, the guy who wrote Everybody's Talking. I met the guy who sang, It wasn't it'sy Bitsy Teeny Weeny, Yellow polka Dot Bikini, what's his name? I said, yeah, well, whatever, you know, he's famous, you know, said, <laughs> yeah and, Oh, and Ursula Hickey he wrote Bluebirds Over the Mountain. You know, and uh, a couple of times they would call us and say, Hey, you're in a group, you're in a group, you know. You, you would do mime on records, on TV or something, you know. And things like that would happen. And one day I was outside 1650 Broadway, the other building, the auxiliary building, that's it, the auxiliary building. Uh, and one of my friends' girlfriend said, you want to be in a group? I said, yeah, I'll kill for that. She said, find somebody. So I found my friend Rusty, and we were a group. So we came upstairs to this guy who became a, a lifelong friend of mine, friend. a guy called Richard Barrett, the guy who ended up producing and managing the Three Degrees. When will I see you again? You know. He also produced uh, the OJs and a lot of other things. And uh, he gave us this song, beautiful song. And he said, here, go into the toilet. Sorry, I'm not in England when I talk like that. Go into the loo. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, and rehearse. And we did. Half hour from that, Ed Thomas, the arranger, came. That night, we were in the studio recording the song. The next day, we were in the uh, the office with the owner of the record company. Record company manager said, it was beautiful. But my partner didn't want to sign it. He didn't trust him. Back in the street again. That's showbiz,
0: you know. Oh, wow. You know, uh, when you were meeting people in the restaurants and the, the, the cafes and things, what were you hoping for? Were you hoping to slip them some demos, some music that you I couldn't? had no demos. Okay.
1: In those days, you were hoping that they would use you on a demo. Oh, okay. You would hope, you know, because all these writers would come around and they'd see all these aspiring and use you as a demo singer. I got used a lot, you know. and uh, I was doing uh, 18 top hits for $1.98, you know, imitating everybody on the records. and uh, I didn't know what I wanted to be. I wanted to be in the music business somehow. Because mm. I had an uncle who, in, the, in the big building who was Nat Cole's partner. But he wouldn't help me one lick. I said to him, will you help me? He, says, he said, I'll help you this way by telling you to get a job. And then when I had my first number one, there was a knock on my door. It was the, uh, the elevator operator of 1650 Broadway. His exact office that he had, 604, was his office when he didn't want to hire me. That's the office we had. And the elevator operator knocked on our door, and he said, uh, your uncle, Jackie Gale, would like to see you down in the coffee shop downstairs. He said, hey, kid, I know you'd make it. You know, uh, I'd like you to come and work for me. Tell him, I'm sorry, you know, you had the opportunity. You know, I'm very happy where I am. Things like that happen, you know. And, uh, joy. You know, th- th- there is some joy. There's a lot of heartache, but ooh. And what else from there on? So uh,
0: yeah, that was about re- the age of 16, you said, right?
1: It started when I was 16.
0: Yeah, what t- age did it go on to? That
1: when I was 16, that's when they found me in the street. And they said, okay. I never recorded, you know. Yeah. What age did it go on to? Till I was about, uh, oh, I was out of the music business till I was about... 24, but always every day I would come and hang around. One day I went into this office with uh, a cousin of mine, who was a songwriter also, you know. It's very incestuous. (laughs) And uh, he introduced me to this German guy called Klaus Ogemann, a great arranger, string arranger. And uh, he said to me, you, I want you to work for me. I said, why? He said, yeah, I want you to work for me. I said, why? He said, because you have no enemies. He said, "I love your personality." He said, "You'd be a great publisher." So he gave me a six-month option. After six months, I was let go. It wasn't time enough. Although he said to me, "You're doing great," he said, "I just can't afford it." You know. Uh, then, two seconds after that, I got a job with a big uh, gangster record company. I headed a publishing company. Head of the pub- an office with with a desk. For two partners, just me. There was a shower there. it was a. You pressed the things in the wall, and it opened to a bar. And a, how old are you? Was I twenty four? Yeah, twenty four at that time. Wow. Yeah, yeah. My uncle couldn't believe it, you know, because I had a, a negative uncle. You know, says, you know, you're gonna get in with gangsters, you know. So he came into the office to see where I was. I said, "Listen, man, you know, <laughs> cool it. You know, I know what I'm doing." And uh... From there, I went back to the German guy, Klaus Ogermann, and we never looked back. You know, uh, I was there until I came to London. I came to London because uh, I had to come to London. I I was making trips here all the time, but the offers I had in one day, in 1970, 80,000 pounds. You know what that's like today? That's like eight zillion. Hear that, Mr. Prime Minister? (laughs) <laughs> today it's a lot of money you know and, uh, and I was paying 20 pounds a week rent and somebody said what are you crazy what are you a rich man 20 pounds you know what guys doing your job then we're making go on 6, 4 pounds a week wow things have really changed you know music has changed I love it I listen every day I, I also listen to classical music, you know, because that helps a lot, you yeah. know, with the uh, co But So, what is the new music? What is the new music?
0: The new music, I guess it's, uh, I don't know, I feel like maybe new, the new music coming out today yeah. doesn't have as much, you know, spirit and, and heart in it maybe as it did back when you were writing. Perhaps it's it's a lot quicker, it's pushed out a lot more because they want a success very quickly. Yeah, and so maybe there's something almost tainted from the old, olden times. Maybe do you like it. I mean, I like it because it's pretty much all It's, you, what, yeah. it's what it's what I grew up with. It's my generation. I, I yeah. mean, I don't really have a choice. You know, I can't. You know, I can't say that I, you know, have these sweet memories of walking into these beautiful, yeah. huge studios. You know, um, you know, everything's done around a computer these days, and you can do everything through a computer. You, sometimes you don't even need an acoustic instrument. You know, you don't need, you know, to play anything yeah maybe you need to sing things i don't know but there is there's it's, it's a whole new type of music um and i think you know it's, it's very different to maybe what you grew up with yeah
1: we were grew we grew up with with melody with yeah. uh with uh, things coming from classical into pop mm-hmm. things coming from uh reggae into pop things coming in. From the things down in the island into pop, folk into pop i yeah.
0: can i can I think still music takes from one another, yeah. you know The similar, but I guess maybe what i'm I'm thinking of perhaps is production, you know where does it all come from, how's it all made, um, but I think that people still take from every genre they grab of from, from any influence that they can do and of course i still I still it.
1: think if you took a, a classical melody mm-hmm. and then took some thing from New Orleans. You know, da, 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 you understand? Mm. Put them together and it would work. Mm. It, so, when you listen to
0: music yourself, you know, not, not just today, but back in the day, what grabbed you most about the tracks? When Say you're walking down the street in Brooklyn and, and you. Certain lines you heard, would certain grab lines. me. So, lyrics more than melody, maybe? Lyrics, yeah. Okay.
1: See, that's the difference between America and here. In America, they're lyric people, here, they're rhythm and melody people.
0: Why is that? What do you
1: think that is? Well, it has all to do with, and this may sound far fetched, but it's American television. Okay. And uh, why I say American television is everything here is canned, formulated. You're given uh, something, and then you run with it and build it yourself. Like they built the Beatles. They got the Beatles canned in the little things off the boat. You know? And then they rocked the world. They came back and they had the, the second revolution. That beat the first American revolution by, by hands down, you know. Yeah, the thing is that they were so deprived here in England for years. Uh, they didn't have an avocado here until it was 50, 1955. <laughs> I'm serious. It's all these TV commercials, you know, and McDonald's and, and all these chains that bring you different kinds of food here. They didn't know what a bagel was here, and that's a very musical instrument. <laughs> yeah, everything is canned and it's stinted. But once they were given the opportunity, they would rush, and the first thing you would hear was the melody. They didn't want to hear the lyrics. You know, they'll listen later. You know, let's get it on now. I think that's why. I don't know if you agree with me.
0: Um, I can only speak for myself, but yeah, I think for me the melody speaks the most and the yeah. rhythm and the energy yeah. of a song, maybe the progression as well, building yeah. up into a chorus. Yeah, yeah. A middle eight bridge type thing. Yeah. Um and certainly lyrics has never really played too much on my conscience when writing music, you know. <laughs> I'm going home.
1: That's what I do for a living. <laughs> Go on, sorry.
0: Yeah, no, I'm just saying, yeah, I think melody for me is Probably the the I guess probably main, the main thing really yeah. yeah yeah
1: yeah hey God bless you son you know you got your right to your own opinion well you know? yeah I know
0: I understand that lyrics are important to some people and so I I do care about you know lyrics and and what's being said in a song um, I still you know I still do you know it's just I think first and foremost probably about melody and I think probably a lot of people in the in the probably right in England probably do as well well you
1: know? truthfully without a melody there's no song.
0: Yeah, that's that's probably
1: true. Yeah, you know, without a melody, there is no song. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah. but uh, I write lyrics, so everybody better listen to the lyrics from right <laughs> now on. Sure. <laughs> so you, you say you're 24 and you're in the office, and what happens next? I meet a fellow by the name of Larry Weiss, who was wearing a red blazer, and he had a, his coat, you know, camel head coat draped over his shoulders with a white scarf. I said, Hollywood. Hollywood. <laughs> we became lifelong partners. We wrote "Ben Me, Shape Me, Hile mm. Silver Lining, um, Help Me Girl, In the Cold Lighted Day. Things that you probably wouldn't know. You know oh, about, I know some of know. those, yeah. And lots of things, you know. And uh, Larry wrote uh, Rhinestone Cowboy on his own. Oh, wow. We're still writing. Mm hmm. Uh, although it's harder today. Because? Because uh, the numbers, again. I'm not 16 anymore. Mm. And those silly children are writing excellent songs. <laughs> <laughs> no, the, the talent today is so fantastic. Kid on the X-Factor, the other night, 14. He's, he wrote his own song. He was fantastic. Yeah, but, you know, I'm in there. You know, I'm in line. Yeah. And as I said, I'm writing this book, you know, and uh, the book is going to tell the whole thing, the truth and nothing but the truth. It's going to be a lot of people going, Ooh! Ooh. (laughs) That's exciting.
0: Yeah. So that's um, your process for writing. What is it?
1: Take a look at that.
0: So we're just looking at a computer with screen. uh, It's a Mac and it's got notes on it. Yeah, It's definitely got a verse by the looks of things, maybe? Yeah, I wrote a chorus and I, wrote I started a verse. verse. You wrote a chorus and you started a verse.
1: Okay, yeah. so it was always pen to paper first thing? No. Okay. It could be either or. Mm-hmm. I like writing simultaneous. I like them coming with a melody. Mm-hmm. But when nobody's around, what are you going to do? You go Ooh. and you write a lyric to a rhythm that you know. Yeah. And... uh Chances are somebody will say, "Yeah, you know, because I got enough talented people around me, you know, to judge." Yeah, and you know, uh, I heard that the other day, somebody was said it in the street, "You put a smile on the face of the world,"
0: and so you, that kind of sparked an inspiration. Yeah, basically, that's yeah, like a nice yeah, idea. Yeah. So you take kind of. Um, inspiration from just walking around and you just anything
1: you. something we may say now you yeah. may say a, a line you may not even know that it's it's shakespeare
0: yeah equivalent to something like shakespeare
1: yeah yeah yeah, yeah. it just really speaks to you it's very yeah. profound an anecdote, you know just yeah the, yeah that's what i do you know i listen all the time you know yeah. that's like when my head was in the radio listening to those words you know did you Pick up instruments, make musical instruments. Did you start playing? At I tried, tried? Instru- I play a little guitar. Okay. Play a little piano. Yeah. Uh, you see, I got drums. But I never was anything but a singer, songwriter, mm. and I had some hits as a singer.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: That that was beautiful too, having hits as a singer. And Island Records, you know, who fantastic. You know, just they brought me over here and then. They checked me into the, the Hilton. In wow. two days, they got rid of me. They put me in a, a cheap place in South Kent because <laughs> I was drinking up the bar. <laughs> I thought that's what you do. Uh, <laughs> nice. But I learned, you know. you know. And I, Through that, I went to Jamaica, and I met Cat Stevens. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So... so do you prefer writing on your own or writing with the people? If I write on my own, it's uh, it's not right because all I have is a lyric, and my melodies are not too nice, you know. Okay. It's real ordinary. I uh, would steal from somebody. Oh, right, Okay. You know, I I enjoy writing with somebody. You know, that's that's when I when I come alive. You know, and uh, when 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 the music is put to uh, when the words are put to music, it's I don't know. I, I can't explain the feeling, and when when I get the message, you're gonna, now you're gonna think I'm really nuts. I get the message from I don't know where the words just come. I can open up like a channel, and I just flow. This is when I'm writing with somebody and I hear a melody. The words just flow through me like I'm being dictated from upstairs wow we've heard that a lot on,
0: on the podcast other people have sat down with us chatted to us and said yeah they get melodies from somewhere they don't know where um, and they find it a very strange experience I get the
1: words from somewhere yeah but they're
0: you very know, grateful for it because
1: it, mm, I'm very grateful yeah. I, I, I've been all over the world and you know I've had a lot of women and a lot of good food and you know and, uh, a good life because of something sure, and you gotta accept it and give gratitude, you don't say it's all me, that's no, not all me. Mm-hmm. Well, it's
0: kind of nice that you acknowledge that, I guess, in a way, yeah. It's, yeah, you gotta acknowledge yeah. it, yeah yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's cool. So, with the whole experience you've had writing, <sighs>
1: what's your favorite memory? The day I was riding in a cab And Top of the Pops came on. On the radio? Yeah. Mm. No, Pick of the Pops came on and on the radio. Mm. What year was this? This was 1971. Mm. Pick of the Pops came on around noon. I was going down Regent Street, and I heard in number 11 in the charts, Brandy by Scott English. Wow. The next day I was in a Rolls Royce. (laughs) Going to the BBC to do top of the pops. Wow.
0: Wow. What a feeling, hey.
1: And then all those silly people that <laughs> that said, uh, oh, he's a loser. I said, hey, you know you know, it's uh it's a funny thing, you know, wanting something and then getting it. You don't know how you got it, but it's the fortitude behind it that helped you get it, I think. How old were you then in seventy one?
0: Thirty-four, yeah. Okay. So yeah, we'd we'd love to talk to you about that song and what it means and how <laughs> did it, how did it all come about then? Well,
1: Brandy's a song that is now called Mandy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh I was in the south of France at a Meadem convention. I, I don't know if you know what medium is. Yeah. The music convention in January in, mm-hmm. in Cannes in the south of France. And all my friends, uh, heads of record um, record companies and, and publishing companies, you know, we had the seventh floor. We were all, had rooms with the doors opened. And we were all in a bath, our own baths. <laughs> Taking baths. And my friend Bob Grace, who just published the Spice Girls, he was, at that time, he was with uh, Chrysalis. And then he ran... A&M's publishing for a long time. He was saying, Brandy goes down fine after dinner, doesn't she? To be rude, you know. And I said, Brandy goes down fine after dinner. So I was trying to write something around it. And the only thing I kept was Brandy. And I wrote this lyric. I got back to England on a Saturday. And I called Richard Kerr. And we were looking all over the neighborhood for a piano. We found somebody two houses down with an out-of-tune piano. So he wrote the melody on an out-of-tune piano. Wow. And it even sounded good on an out-of-tune piano. When we got to his house on the Monday and he played it on a regular piano, it sounded fantastic. So we did the demo, and then uh, I was doing... I had a lot of recording sessions. You know, I, uh, In those days, you were doing these imitation groups. You know, you, you know They'd sign you for three groups. You know, you, uh, I would be all the groups. You <laughs> know? So I, I recorded a group called uh, Silk. And of course I did a song called Brandy. And I did three other songs. I was playing the song in, in, my, pu- in at my for my publisher. And this producer from Island Records walked in. He said, what's that? I said, that's my group Silk. He said, now what is it? I said, it's me singing. It's a demo. He said, I want to record you on that. I said, well, I did it for... F- for X company. He said, uh, if you release it, I'll kill you. You know, if you you gotta give it to me. Release something else. So I did, you know. And then he took me in the studio and bingo. I went back to America. My wife was having a baby. I got called back flew first class. Wow. On, it was BEA in those days. And uh, I was sitting beside Ringo. And I saw all these Paparazzi and newspaper reporters outside the plane. And Ringo said, It's for you, Boyle. Ringo Starr? Yeah, he said, It's for you, Boyle. I said, Wow. And I was met by a white rose. And my publisher did all that. you know. Wow. My record went on to about number seven, six. It ended because I didn't do the 12 gigs. You had to do 12 gigs. Musician Union wise So they didn't let me do Top of the Pops For another time And so for about Two years Three years I suffered Then Manilow Did the record And uh, That was another buzz
0: You know I I was looking into it Yesterday Doing some research for this And I think I might be wrong about this Because I only read this Off Wikipedia But it was actually released 39 years ago Yesterday From Manilow did you know that? Yeah, October seventh, I think it is. Is that was that right? Seventy-four. Yeah, there you go. Amazing, hey? Yeah. So it's basically. Could you number. imagine
1: that man is still selling the records? I know. I mean, his his nose is in back of his his head now, and, you know, with the plastic surgery, you know. But uh, God bless him. He asked me, he said, "What do you think of the record?" I said, "Well, I said truthfully, I like my own." I said, but now that I hear it, and I see these statements, and the houses and the cars you're buying me, I love it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 39 years. Well,
0: since he released it, yeah. Yeah.
1: Wow. That's amazing, you know, just, thank you for that. That's okay. (laughs) Wow. How are we doing for time? I'm doing good. Are you okay? Yeah. Yeah,
0: good. Okay. I just wanted to speak to you about one last thing as well. I was, again, looking on Wikipedia, and I saw something about Thin Lizzy.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Tell us about that. What, what was, how was your well, th- that? Well, th-
1: that was a very s- sad ending. Okay. Because it was joyous to go to Ireland and find Phil,
0: mm-hmm.
1: although there was another artist that I liked more. But they wanted me to sign Phil, because he had something, you know. And I did it, and we got to the studio... Old Decca Studios up on West End Lane, big place, a concert hall. You know. They wouldn't play me any, they wouldn't sing to me. They just I wanted to do the backing tracks first. I said, man, I never recorded this way. This is difficult. This is the only way we know how to work. That was, you know, hurt me right there, you know. Uh, but I did it, you know, and uh, it was coming out fine, you know, and uh, in the end I was fired Okay. because there was a guy in the company who took him on to greater and bigger things, you know. Yeah. I can't begrudge somebody, you know. He took him away, you know, from me, you know. Uh, although Phil and I were always good friends, even though this happened, you know. Mm. In fact, I was with him a couple of months before he died. Okay. Yeah, he had this beautiful place in uh, by the river, by Richmond, Oh, nice! Uh, a cucumber garden, sorry. Oh, wow! And uh, with this antique furniture and these Yabos are sticking cigarettes out in there on, the, on the furniture. Oh man! Just wanted to kill them, you know. Yeah, that's in Lizzie, you know. Uh, and there's a, there's a there's a mistake in Wikipedia. It says I produced um, Jeff Beck. I didn't. Mickey Most produced Jeff Beck. Okay. This is High House Over. Ohio Civil Lining, which is a weird story. Oh, go on. Tell us about that. Go on. Larry Weiss came up with a, a bits of the chorus, and we wrote the chorus. And I thought it was ridiculous. Yeah, okay. So I wrote the first verse, ridiculous. You're everywhere I know, her, baby. That's where you're at. You know? And um, Larry Weiss called Mickey Most in London from New York. And Mickey said he would always come to, to New York on Monday Songs. He came into the office and he loved it. He said, Finish it. I said, I hate it. What are you talking about? Finish it. It stinks, you know. It'll end my career in the music business. He said, Finish it. So I had uh, the secretary. I said, Okay, come here. I said, Come here. I said to the secretary, I opened my channel. He said, Flies are in your pea soup, baby, and they're waving at me. Anything you want is yours now, only nothing's for free. Lies are going to get you someday. Just wait and see. So open up your beach umbrella while you're watching TV. I thought he'd say, Ugh. He said, This is tremendous. <laughs> he took it. And he said, I'll see you, fellas. Oh, he made us record a thing on a, a little tape recorder. Then he called us about a week later. He says, I'm doing it with the Yardbirds. I said, you what? The yard birds? Are you crazy? He meant one of the oddbirds, You know. Uh, and uh, when I heard the record, I said, oh, no. Because <laughs> I heard the B-side. It was fantastic. Did you ever hear Bex Bolero?
0: I haven't seen it. No, so listen to it. it. If
1: you're a melody man, Okay. listen to it. I thought I killed his career. Because he never recorded again vocally. One day I was... Loaded out of my head. And Larry Gaskill, the head of Warner Brothers here, at the time, in the mid-70s, said, we're going to the, uh, there was a big rock and roll theater, The Rainbow, uh, in, in, in in North London. And I said to him, listen, whatever you do, don't take me to see Jeff, because he'll kill me. Next thing I know, denial is parted, and psh- there's Jeff Beck in front of me. And Jeff says to me, Scott, before you say a word, I want to apologize. I said, what are you talking about? I said, I want to apologize to you. He said, no, let me apologize first. He said, I begged Mickey to record that song. I begged him. He said, "And when we did the double tracking, you know the guitar thing? He said, I was a little bit out. And with my perfect pitch... It killed me. But Mickey said, No, it's fine, just the way it is. So that was his resentment for years. <laughs> he said, What's your? I said, Well, I thought I killed you, career. He said, No, man. No, 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 no. He said, It's the only song I liked. I haven't found a song yet. So that's the stereo at Iowa Silver Lining. <laughs> and him and I, we've seen each other since, you know. Yeah. It's very quiet, man.
0: Okay. So it sounds like you did the whole, you know, artist thing, writer as well, at the same time as as working on the inside. That's right. Yeah. How did that work out for you? Is that okay?
1: Sure. I yeah. Can be many things. Yeah. So can you, my boy. And don't let anybody stop you. There'll be people to try. Mm-hmm. Because envy. You know, you're going to run the whole company and be a singer and a dancer. You're going to want to strictly come dancing.
0: Oh, I hope so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that.
1: An X Factor. What so do you think of
0: X Factor? Do you think it's good for today's generation?
1: Well, what happened? I, I love X Factor for one reason. I was at the BMI Awards and really angry because mm. I didn't have award, an award that year. <laughs> what year was this? 2002. Mm. 2003. And Richard Kirk comes to me, my partner, you know, who wrote Manly with me. And he's all happy. He's, and I felt like telling him, shut up. I don't want to hear your good news because I'm in an angry mood, you know. I don't want to get jealous, you know. He said, Mandy is Westlife's next single. I said, what? Who told you that? Simon Cowell. I said, what? He said, yeah. He said, I just met Steve uh, Mack. And he told me Simon Cowell said it's the next single. But you got to be quiet about it. He said, all right, yeah, I'll be quiet, you know. I walked over to my manager, Johnny. I said, Johnny, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. he walks over to my publisher go it's going all around the floor <laughs> then I walk out into after the the dinner and the awards I walk out where they're having coffee I see Steve Mack I see says Scott English you got the next single I said, I'm not supposed to say that he says, who told you that I said Richard Curry. He says, he's full of baloney Richard didn't want to kill anything you know so there's been a lot of charges with with Mandy and Brandy mm. three times boy plus there was Mandy was an enormous hit in, in Europe with some cartoon characters up there. Really? Yeah, called Mandy and Brandy. Then we got to Prague, and there it was on TV. Wow, amazing.
0: So, what do you what do you think of X Factor now? In this generation? I like
1: X Factor. You do? Yeah, uh, I think um, they did a lot of chopping and changing because it was getting very very boring. Are you bored with it
0: um i watched the first couple of series and i enjoyed them yeah and then uh a combination of moving away from home and not having a t- television and i guess a, a decreasing interest of the show yeah. i didn't watch it as much as i as i, well, I don't watch it at all anymore so yeah um, i'm kind of clued in because of news reports yeah. and the media but i don't sit and watch the, the, the what show. about the voice same same with the voice. Yeah, I don't. I don't. Watch I
1: shows. never heard anybody from the voice having a hit. And I mean, they've had two series, and I don't know any of the winners having hits.
0: Yeah. I think I think one issue is that maybe there's no real longevity with with the with the shows. you know these are these are instant successes at Christmas time. They bring in a bit of cash. It's a bit of a cash cow, and and then uh, and then those those careers aren't really
1: sewed into. Uh, what like, about England's Got Talent?
0: Oh yeah, Britain's Got Talent. I don't know. I think One Direction have done well from that show, haven't they? They've they've probably One Direction
1: did amazing.
0: Well, Scott English, thank you very much for chatting to us.
1: Hey, David, it's been my pleasure. Thank
0: you very much. Yeah, the stories have been really great um, and very inspiring as well. So, just know that it's yeah, it's been really great, and it's nice to hear the stuff about Mandy. Um, People love the song Mandy, don't they? So it's been.
1: Hey, I hope I hope you go on liking it for yeah. another 150 years. Because yeah. I'm going to be around. You reckon, huh? Yeah. Okay. <laughs>
0: well done. Scott, it was great.
1: Thank you very much. Thank you.
0: Scott is a real character and it was a great experience to sit in his house and hear those stories firsthand. I love that he had the guts to go and hang around the offices in the early years. And that persistence has obviously stood him in good stead. Thanks for listening and until next time.